for your love for us, for this world, for every person in it. We thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who came to set us free, the one who embodies love. We are grateful that we can be a part of your family by trusting him. We just ask in these moments that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, that we would hear you speak this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and that we would understand the truth of the word as we see it and as we read it together. In Christ's name, amen. I thank everybody for all their help and hard work this morning and this week. A lot of practicing happens. Actually, a lot of practicing happens every week uh, for us to be here and, and for the team to lead us in worship, so we're thankful for that and thankful for all the work that went into this week, the choir and Catherine and Pam and caring for all that and putting that all together. A uh, little side note, um, Tim had smuggled the sheet music for that song, that piano duet, out of the house, and he and I had been kind of noodling around on it at the office in our spare time, but in the end we decided to let Justin and Talia do it <laughs> this morning, so uh, we appreciate them doing that too, so hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I can't believe that it's only three days till Christmas. You know when your grandmother said when you get older time would fly? Darned if she didn't know what she was talking about. I'm telling you, uh, this year has gone by so fast, uh, it's hard to believe that we're already here. And I was thinking about Christmas the other day, and I was thinking about garbage. (laughs) You'll get there. On Wednesday morning, you'll get there. Dads, when you're going around after the mayhem and with big black garbage bags and cleaning up all the boxes and the the battery packages and the wrapping paper and the bows and all that, trying to pack it together and get it into the garbage or out to the dumpster or whatever. I, I really was thinking about garbage at Christmas time, and here's the reason. Uh, our family's house is on a short, private subdivision road, and we have a road association, and we share a dumpster. It's wonderful. <laughs> we just put it right in the dumpster, everything, right in the dumpster. But there's six families that share the dumpster. And so by the end of the month, before ABC comes to pick it up, it's usually getting full. And usually either Gavin or I or Tim, we put on our tall rubber boots and we jump up in the dumpster and we jump up and down and smash everything down in and try to squeeze a little bit more in. And I have no doubt that we're going to be doing that this week. Uh, If you have paid attention to these things at all, you know that there's a little mantra out there in our world, in our culture here in this country when it comes to garbage. You know what it is, right? The three R's. Hey, there's three people that have heard of it. Okay. Reduce, reuse, recycle, right? That's the mantra. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be reducing, we're supposed to be cutting down on the amount of garbage that we produce. We're supposed to be making sure that we have things that we can use multiple times or use them for other purposes. And we're supposed to be separating items that can be taken and broken down and used for raw materials to make other things. Reduce, reuse, recycle. 
I was reading this week, and I read about a lady in some part of our country. I don't re- exactly remember where she was from, but she, she whittled herself some special knitting needles, and she took the plastic grocery bags that you get at Walmart or Hannaford, and she cut them into strips, and she crocheted herself a dress out of plastic grocery bags. Now, unfortunately, there was not a picture. I really wanted to see a picture of what that looked like. But that's reduce, reuse, recycle, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. In the United States, we generate four pounds of garbage per person per day. That's 254 million tons in the United States every year. That's 2.3 billion tons in the world every year. So reduce, reuse, recycle. There is a point to all this, and that is that I have a theory that we try to do the same thing with our lives. Reduce, reuse, recycle. When things aren't going well in our lives, when the garbage is piling up, or when we mess things up, we usually try one or all of those things. Reduce. We try to reduce the sin in our lives, don't we? we make a mess of things, haven't we all at some point, after we've screwed up for the hundredth time, haven't we all said at some point, I'm going to do that less, right? I'm not going to do that anymore. Or we reuse. We say, well, it didn't work that time, let's do it again. Let's try it again. In relationships or marriages or finances, we say, well, I messed that one up. Let's try again and see what happens. Or we recycle. We take some of the same raw materials like our intelligence or our abilities and we mix in a couple of new things and we see if we can create something new. But it really doesn't work in our lives. We've all tried those things. In fact, you're sitting here this morning, and I wouldn't be at all surprised that some of you are trying one of them right now. Either you're at the point in your life where you're saying, I just need to do those wrong things less. Or you've said, I'm going to take another crack at it. Or you've said, I'm going to try a little of this or a little of that. Sometimes we do that with God, don't we? We say, well, I'm going to take the abilities that I have and the intelligence that I have and maybe I'll try God now and I'll mix a little of him in and we'll try to see if we can come up with something else. It doesn't work. I want to suggest to you this morning that when it comes to our lives, something else needs to happen that's not reducing, it's not reusing, and it's not recycling. We need restoration. You see, God's plan is to glorify himself by establishing his eternal kingdom and redeeming a people for himself. That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. That's his plan. And that plan is going to require restoration. If you're going to restore something, it means you bring it back to its original condition. You see, we don't need to reduce our sin. We don't need to reuse our old patterns. We don't need to recycle the parts of our lives into a different order. We need to be restored. 
The world needs to be restored. It needs to be put back the way that it was when everything began. God's plan will culminate in the restoration of all things. We've been looking at some prophecies the last couple of weeks. And we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, and there the whole plan was explained for us. The world was sinless. The world was flawless. Right? Almost everyone knows the story of the Garden of Eden. When God created it, put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, they said, here it is. It's flawless. Take care of it. But it was broken by sin. Last week, Tim was talking to us about the extent of God's plan from Genesis chapter 12. When God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless every family in the entire world through you, through your family. Everyone is invited to experience the blessings of God. God's plan includes all of the families of the earth. The invitation is given to everyone. This morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the excellency of this plan. And I want to answer this question, why is God's plan excellent? I'm guessing this morning that you have a plan. You have a plan for how you want your life to go. You have a plan for how you want it all to work. Relationally, familially, financially, Physically even, emotionally, you've got a plan. This is what I want to see happen. But Why is God's plan the one that is excellent? And why should we care? I want to look at a couple more prophecies with you this morning. First of all, I want us to notice that God's plan is excellent because it depends on Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 That's part of our song that we've been singing this month, Unto Us, comes from this verse. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a lot of people counting on a lot of things in hopes that this world is going to turn around. A lot of people are counting on fixing the government and turning these things around. We do that all the time. I don't know if you have noticed, but we're approaching an election in our country. Anybody notice that? You heard anything about it in the news or anything lately? This is what drives me nuts about this whole process. Well, this is one thing that drives me nuts about this whole process. We do this once every four years. We barely get through one. We go about five or six months, and then everybody starts campaigning again for the next one. Why? Why do they do that? Because if this person was in power instead of that person, then things would be better. Right? Isn't that the... Isn't that the hope? Isn't that the motivation? We need this person to be out so that person can be in. Or a better economy. If the economy was just a little bit better, if we were all just making a little bit more money, if the minimum wage were just a little bit higher. 
or if we had better green policies. The problem is we're destroying our planet. So if we could take better care of it, if we were more careful, that would turn things around. Or more education. Or free education. The problem is people can't afford to go to college if it was free. But God's plan rests on Jesus. Look at how he's described. He's all wise. It says he's the wonderful counselor. He has all this wisdom. He's mighty God. He's all powerful. He's everlasting father. He's eternal. Jesus is the one who can actually do it who can actually change this entire world. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, history repeats itself. Well, history repeats itself because we keep trying to reduce and reuse and recycle all the things that we've done in the past. We're going to take another crack at it and see if we can fix it this time. God's plan is excellent also because it will result in peace and justice and righteousness. Listen to the next verse, Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now for... This isn't intended to be a political message, but for all of you libertarians out there in the crowd today, the first phrase of that line, of that verse probably scares you. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. That's what everybody's afraid of, right? The government's taking too much control. But in the case of Jesus, as his government takes control as Jesus sits on the throne of this world and establishes his rule. Look what is going to increase. Justice and righteousness and peace. What has been the result of every other plan, of every other government, of every other attempt to fix things in this world? Just more conflict, right? More conflict, more poverty, more injustice, more war. But when Jesus Christ takes the throne, there will be stability and there will be peace. And his reign will be characterized by justice and righteousness. Take a moment this morning, friends, and imagine imagine a world where there is no war. Can you imagine what that would be like? Where it's always peaceful. And where there's no injustice. And everyone always does the right thing. How often in the course of a day do you read the news or hear it on the radio or see it on television or witness it in front of your eyes and think, that's not fair. I bet 80% of the people in this room said that's not fair at least once already this weekend. About something, right? You go to your favorite news website today and you will hear about a young lady who was brutally killed in New York City. That's not fair. 
It about a mother who was kidnapped down in Texas. Baby was found alive, but she was murdered. That's not fair. Genocide and famine and all of these things, it's not fair. Drive down the road, come into our beautiful Market Square intersection and patiently wait your turn until it's your turn and you get ready to pull out and some Yahoo from another state that will not be named (laughs) pulls out in front of you and what do you say? That's not fair! I hope that's what you say. Everything that has ever been done in this world, friends, to make things right has only resulted in more conflict and more chaos and more injustice. God's plan is also excellent because our relationship with God will never be disrupted. Listen to these verses from Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Some of you recognize these verses. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What a picture. What a picture of all this newness. Prepared as a bride, it says. Prepared as a bride who will be given to her husband. Why? What's the point? What's the purpose of marriage? Why does the bride stand at the back and approach her husband at the altar? Why does she do that? Because she doesn't want to be away from him again. She doesn't want to be separated anymore. And that's God's plan. How many times in our lives have we looked at what was going on and said, where is God? Right? How many times have we said that? Where is God? What is he doing? I can't see God. God, what are you doing? I can't feel you. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. We all say that. I say that. Where is God? God's plan is excellent because my relationship with God is never going to be disrupted again. It says that he will dwell with them. We'll be together and we'll never be separated. God's plan is excellent because all pain and death will be eliminated. Continuing to read in Revelation 21, you know this verse, probably many of you as well. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there sh- shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We can make all kinds of advancements. We can develop all kinds of technology, but we cannot beat death. We can't beat it. 
We cannot avoid pain. But Jesus will make that happen. Jesus will restore what was broken. Can you imagine what that was like in Eden for that period of time before Adam and Eve chose to sin? There was no pain and no sorrow. I woke up this morning with some kind of pinched nerve in my back and I couldn't even turn my head. It's loosening up a little bit, but if somebody jumps out from behind those curtains and I wrench my neck around, I might curl up on the floor. Can you imagine for there to be, never be any pain? No sorrow. You ever been at the point in your life when you woke up from a night's rest? And even before you had the opportunity to get up and your feet to hit the floor and start the day, your mind is instantly overwhelmed with sorrow because you you are instantly aware of something that's going on in your life or in your family, in your children's lives, in your friends' lives that's difficult and painful and sorrowful. We don't move in this world without sorrow and pain, but we will then. Christ will eliminate it. He will restore things to what they were, just like when Adam and Eve were in Eden. God's plan is excellent because nothing will keep it from happening. Revelation 21, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these down. Notice, For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. This plan has been in the mind of God from eternity past. And in God's mind, God who is eternal, who knows not time, who is not past, present, and future, but who is, this plan has already been accomplished in the mind of God. God is as fully present now as he is in the future, as he was in the past. Time has no effect on him. And as God exists, he looks at this world and he says, it is done. It's happening. There's no doubt. This is not a promise that we have to be concerned about not coming to pass. He has willed it. And what he says will happen. Finally, I want you to notice that God's plan is excellent because the glory of God will be central. Also, Revelation 21, this time in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. For the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does not 
does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Not going to need a temple in heaven. We're not going to need a building in heaven. (laughs) That'd be okay, right? We don't have to worry about that. We don't need it. Because God is there. There's no need of the sun or the moon. Because the glory of God is going to light it. There's no night. There's nothing unclean. There's no disruption. Because finally... All attention will be focused on the glory of Almighty God. Finally, God is going to be the focus of everyone's attention. Finally, He will be the center. Because we could spend hours and hours talking about all the problems of this world and everything that's gone wrong and everybody that's doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing. But ever since the Garden of Eden, there's really only been one problem. Mankind wanted God's place. That's what sin is. Sin is removing God from the place of authority in our lives and putting ourselves there. God, I hear what you're saying, but I don't want to do that. I want to do this. I know the Bible says I should be living this way, but I want to live this way. I know I should treat this person that way, but I want to treat them this way. I know I should fill my mind with these things, but I want to fill it with those things. I will be at the center because I am the most important. I don't know if you recognize that in your own heart. I don't know if you have any interest in admitting it, but I'm telling you that's the issue for all of us. Friends, listen, Christmas is a wonderful time of year. I don't know what your house looks like, but I love our house at Christmas. The greenery all lighted on the top of the cabinets coming down the banister of the stairs, the tree, candles in all the windows. Everybody's making chocolates and cookies. Jessica and Miss Anna made me some chocolates and put them in a little box, gave them to me. That lasted 30 seconds. (laughs) A couple of days, I'm going to make a big turkey stuffing. Day or two off work to spend with our family and our friends. But what's really happening at Christmas is a celebration of God's plan that is in progress. God's plan will culminate in the restoration of all things. Jesus is the restorer. He is the one. Now, I have every 
understanding that you could be sitting here this morning and thinking, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying. Sounds real nice, but why in the world would I care about going to heaven? Well, because it's the only place where the longing in the depths of your heart will ever be fulfilled. Right now, and I challenge you this morning to take a moment and reflect, do a little self-examination. Right now, you are reducing and reusing and recycling. Because you're trying, you're trying to get that feeling in here that you're longing for. Even Christ followers. Even for those of us who do have a relationship with God, you may be here this morning, you don't have that relationship, and you're like, yeah, I know there's something here I'm missing, and, but I'm working on it, I'm fixing that, I got that figured out. It's not going to work. And even as Christ followers, for those of us who have a relationship with him, who, are, who, who love Christ, who, who know that Christ is the one who died on the cross to provide our salvation, we have given our hearts to Christ, we still struggle with that every day. I still struggle with it every day. There's something here that is just not quite what it needs to be. Just not quite what I'm looking for. Just not quite what I need. Nothing that happens on this earth, no plan that is ever formed or attempted to be worked is going to perfectly fulfill that void. Jesus wants to restore your life. Not just this world. He wants to begin restoring it right now. He is the one that can do it. Even if you think you're hopeless, say, I, I don't have any idea what's going on in your heart and life. I don't have any idea what's happening in your family, what's happening with your finances, what's happening with your health. I, I don't know. But even the most hopeless situation can be restored. I was reading a story this week. There was a, a young couple who had been saving a little bit of money every week out of their paycheck and putting it in an envelope for a special project. This is a true story. And they kept the little envelope in the desk in their spare bedroom. It was $1,100 in it, and they were just getting ready to grab it and do what they were going to do with it. And they realized it was a missing, and, and panic-stricken, they were running all over the house. They were checking their coat pockets and drawers and nightstands and everywhere they could think of to look. They had a three-year-old son, and the little guy was getting into it too. He was looking all over the place, and, and so they started asking, Did you touch the envelope? Did you do something? Where's mommy's special envelope? He brightened up and realized what they were looking for and led them over to the shredder that sat under the desk. And sure enough, 
In the bottom of the shredder, $1,100 worth of confetti. His mom had been letting him run things through the shredder for a few days before, and he decided to be helpful and ran it right through. They laughed, they cried, (laughs) all the other things, and then they did what we do. The dad started to Google, and he found out that the U.S. Department of the Treasury has a currency restoration program. This is true. 30,000 claims a year. Send in your deteriorated, rat-chewed, shredded U.S. currency, and they have a special computer that can put it all back together and figure out how much you lost, and so they told them to put it in a Ziploc bag and send it on over. Nothing's hopeless. You are not hopeless. God wants to restore your life. You see, the good news is that the king came once to provide salvation, and he's coming again to restore and to reign and set everything right. Stand up with us as we sing this morning. He is going to reign forevermore. Folks, I am really glad that you've been here this morning, and I hope you've enjoyed being with us. I hope that God has spoken to your heart. And I want you to enjoy the next couple of three days. I want you to celebrate with your families, with your friends, eat lots of turkey and ham and chocolate and cookies and diets can start next week. Don't worry about that stuff. Have fun. Enjoy it. Recognize, however, that what we celebrate is that the God of this universe has a plan has a plan for your life in this world. It's not hopeless. It seems like it is sometimes. We look around and we like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. This whole thing's going to implode. God has a plan that's going to set all things right. And he desires more than anything to do that in your heart and life as well. If you don't know Christ the Restorer, encourage you to trust Christ today, to open your heart, to allow him to speak to you, to move you, to open the eyes of your understanding. Come talk to me afterwards. Come talk with Tim. He's down here. Somebody invited you to come with you today and with them today. Talk with them. More than anything else, what we celebrate today is Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the one who will reign over this whole world and set everything. Father, thank you for your goodness to us, for your generosity and grace, and for your patience. There are so many times when we, we, we yank you from the throne of our hearts and minds and put ourselves there so that we can do our own thing. Forgive us. Forgive us, and we pray that your spirit would continue your work in our hearts. You would open the eyes of those that are here this morning, myself included, that we might see you in a new and fuller light understand your mercy in our lives and I pray that for those of us who are walking with you that we might show that love and grace and mercy to everyone that we come into contact with even this week as we celebrate the birth of Christ thank you so much for your great love and we ask for your blessing and strength in these days to come 
for Christ's sake. Amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great